0: Uh, when I was living in Columbus, I uh, one after, Saturday afternoon I started watching a movie and just got totally lost in this thing. Uh, and I was about maybe like three-fourths of the way through the movie and a friend texted me and was like, hey man, are you go- coming to the soccer game? We're going to go to the crew game in Columbus. And so I was like, oh shoot. And so I hop on my bike and I'm, I'm riding down the, I turn the music, mo- movie off and I'm riding down the street. And I'm like, I like almost wiped out. I had like almost like vertigo because uh, it was... It was like this uh, huge breakdown from this like world I'd been living, just got so sucked into as I watched the movie to like my real life, like riding my bike on my street, you know, in, in, in my city. I'd been so caught up. It was, uh, it was about like this punk rock bands, like Rise to Fame and stuff like that. And it like took me a while to kind of like come down from the reality of the movie, you know, that had like an amazing soundtrack and was super cool to, you know, my little life where I rode my bike to, to soccer games. And my point is that <clears throat> there are things that we can take in as humans, like books or movies or songs or social media, uh, news, that can can kind of take us away. They can actually have the net effect of taking us away from reality. Um, I think there's a, a technical term for this. It's called hyperreality, where the stuff that we see, the images or stories or movies that we see become hyperreal. They become, like, more real than the thing that they were supposed to to, to represent. But on the flip side, there's also things that we can take in, books, movies, uh, you know, songs, friendships, conversations that can have the opposite effect, that, that can actually ground us in reality, can kind of help us fully embody our lives on the earth feel more present, more established in, in our real life, more joyfully living what, it, what reality is instead of kind of longing for some image of an alternative reality. And that's what Jesus does. We're, we're calling this little summer series Reality According to Jesus. Uh, and that's because Jesus, as the master teacher, uh, as God in the flesh, as the word by whom, through whom, for whom, everything exists, Tells us He tells us what reality is. He tells us what to expect. And following Jesus, believing in him, believing that his way of life and his teaching is the best way to fully embody our daily lives, uh, it's the best way to be joyful in all circumstances. And uh, it, It's decidedly not all rainbow and butterflies when we live in Jesus' reality. Uh, if you don't like that part about Jesus, you can find lots of other teachers and Instagram feeds that will tell you that you know, normal is to be beautiful and young and in love all the time or something. Uh, but I don't think that will actually help us in our uh, endeavor for the good life uh, with God. Jesus, on the other hand, shows us how to live, uh, what is real, what really matters, and how to respond to reality. And today, our main point for today, is that Jesus is telling us that we should expect to feel afraid if we follow him. We should expect to feel afraid, but we don't need to be Afraid because our Father knows and cares about us. So it's kind of two sides of it. Jesus says we should expect to be afraid if we follow Him according to how He's revealed in the Word, but we also don't need to be afraid because our Father knows us and He cares about us. The, he says, Do not be afraid three times in these seven verses. It's kind of the, the overwhelming theme of this little passage. Uh, and, and if you look at Scripture more broadly, the call to do not be afraid, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, believe in me, or he says, fear not, or we, we looked at uh, take courage. All these, these calls, these commands uh, to, to, be, to be, be courageous and to not be afraid is, is from beginning to end. There's so many of the Psalms are like that. It's the most common thing that he told his disciples uh, to, to do or to be. And reality, according to Jesus, is that fear is a real part of humanity, of the human experience, because of sin. And he's come to do away with it. So we're just going to kind of spend this morning looking at at fear, frame our time around understanding fear according to Jesus. And my three points this morning there in your bulletin, um, I guess they're blanks this week, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. The first one, I'll tell you as we go. The first one is fear is an immediate threat. Fear is an immediate threat. Look at verse uh, 26 of our sermon text. It's the first part. Jesus says, so, do not be afraid of them. Or maybe your passage says, therefore. and the classic Bible reading uh, saying, you know, whenever you see a therefore, you ask, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the so? What, what he's saying? What is he saying right before this? And that brings us to the verses right before that we looked at last week, which is Jesus telling us, like, hey, scary things are going to happen. Like, you're going to be persecuted. Like, and expect to see... Uh, really hard things happen. Like Jesus said, uh, don't be surprised if you're flogged. Don't be surprised if you're arrested and put on trial. Don't be su- surprised if you're betrayed by your family or even betrayed to death. Therefore, don't be afraid. Like, isn't that weird? It's kind of a little bit surprising that to bring us to our sermon text here. But in, on the other hand, you can view it as kind, that Jesus is not unrealistic about what it, what it is like for us to face these predicted Uh, persecutions. He said, don't be afraid of them. Why? Because we're members of God's household, because we'll become like Jesus. We belong to him. And I want us to see that fear and anxiety are different. Fear is an immediate threat. Jesus just got done talking about things that he was going to very soon experience in terms of flogging and trial and death and betrayal. Uh, but also most of his disciples uh, went on to join him in experiencing those things. Look back up uh, to verse 19. This is uh, Matthew 10, verse 19, page 1511, if you're in the Pew Bible. It says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. So here, Jesus is saying, don't worry but in our sermon text, he's saying, don't be afraid. And, and so there's two different things going on here. There's, like, those are two different words in the Greek. What we see here is that uh, fear is an immediate threat, whereas worry is more of an abstract, like, someday, maybe, what if kind of threat. Like, if you are brought before trial and you're you kind of ang- anxious, like, what am I going to say? Will I have enough? Will I know the, r- the right words? He says, don't worry about that. You could say it like this Fear is when you're in a room with a lion. Like, there's a lion staring you in the face. You're afraid. It's scary. Anxiety is like if we were all in this room and we're, we're worried that a lion might bust through the door that's why these doors are so narrow uh it's like the lion code lions can't get through there too they're too narrow i don't know why they're that narrow but they're weird probably not up to code fear is like when you're crossing a street and all of a sudden a huge truck comes around the bend and you're like ah, oh! and you and your body releases adrenaline and you kind of scamper to the other side safely like there was immediate threat a truck was coming at you and then anxiety would be the kind of like existential like monkey mind that happens like oh my gosh, why didn't he stop? What would, what would happen if I got hit? That would hurt really bad. What would happen to my family? You kind of think of the more like existential, like what ifs uh, that, that could happen. Do you, do you see? Like, fear push, pushes us to action to some degree, gets us to the other side, whereas anxiety is just kind of like, makes us paralyzed, just kind of like hunkers us down in our own brains. Personally, I'm at the end of what I hope is the end of this long saga with healthcare. Trying to get our new daughter on our healthcare plan, and I have been so anxious about it. Insurance in general is kind of an industry that like exists on anxiety. It's like it, it, you pay so that you can have an answer to the what ifs. Like, what if lightning strikes my house? What if a tree falls on it? That's kind of a real thing. Uh, what if a disease gets me? And so, I, in this like in- insurance battle, I'm like anxious. Like, will we be covered? If something bad happens or will we get stuck with a plan where, we, you know, you have to pay like $22,000 before insurance pays anything or, you know, will we not actually have coverage? But the crazy thing is that there's no actual threat. Like all of us, all of us have coverage, pretty good coverage, you know. So then I'm anxious that what if it goes away? What if the coverage, what if I did something wrong and it's not like legally binding or or whatever? I go into that because Jesus, he addresses worry. I want us to like see this passage For what it is because in our context we can kind of take fear and make it worry. Jesus addresses it in Matthew 6 uh, earlier uh, in this book. He says don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. Your father knows what you need. But it's very distinct from what he's saying. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. There's a real immediate threat for people who are in his kingdom who are following him. Because I think a lot of us we feel anxious and we and we call it fear. I heard a friend say that she would she would tell her husband that whenever he drove next to a semi on the freeway, she would be like, "You're scaring me. Stop it. You're scaring me." But is that fear? No. Like there's no immediate threat. Just following the traffic laws. Like, what will what if the truck swerves over? What if, you know, a tire blows and we go underneath the wheels or you know, you could say lots of what if. But and is it, is it her husband's fault that she was feeling that anxiety? No. Like that's that's something manufactured in her in her brain and it's helpful it's crucial to distinguish between fear and anxiety is because there's there's particular comforts in the gospel of Jesus for each one and we kind of we can kind of miss miss what they are if we if we just kind of muddle them all together we're just like we have our what if factory cranking out you know the black steam of an anxiety and, and we're and we're missing the comfort for it we can trust Jesus with the what-ifs, with the lions that might jump in the room, but also we can trust him in real time when we're staring the lion in the face. <coughs> this is huge. First, Jesus is saying, expect to be afraid. There are immediate threats that come, and you will be afraid, but don't be. And so if we exper- or we're afraid of a threat, we, we don't need to be s- surprised. I think a huge part of the pain of negative emotions is that we're surprised by them. Like, how dare you, life, have me go through something hard? According to Instagram, I should be beautiful and young and in love all the time. We're often, like, sad that we're sad. Like, I shouldn't be sad. So if, like, our sadness level is at 45 because of the circumstance, you know, we ratchet it up to, like, 90 because we're sad because of our, our, because of our sadness. So for us, when we're scared by something, we can be like, oh, this is what Jesus Told me was going to happen I don't have to be surprised fear is a common bread and butter human experience anything that you would watch or listen to that would say there's a way to live as a human in this fallen sinful world without fear would be lying to you would be contrary to what Jesus says reality is like and instead Jesus says expect to be afraid and then let your fear point you to what is really true Look at verse 25. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. We let our fear drive us to the fact that we belong in the household of God, the God of the universe. When the Mack truck of, of fear comes upon us, we can like point ourselves, we can scamper to the other side of the truth that in Christ we are with God and we're safe. <coughs> the second point is fear is reverence. Fear is reverence. Jesus is being a master teacher here, kind of like a wisdom teacher in the culture of his day where he would you know, say these kind of parable, proverb-like things that kind of cause you to think. He says, don't be afraid in verse 26. And then in verse uh, 28, he says... Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's, like, telling us to be afraid. So this is, this is teacher, master, rabbi Jesus, like, drawing us in to think. Like, why, why, why would he say don't be afraid of these, but be afraid of these people? And he's pointing us to the reality, that fear, in terms of immediate threat. We're not talking about the, like, what-if factories that we all have in our head as immediate threat, is a good thing. Reverence for danger is a good thing. It's a sign of being a mature, sane, you know, healthy person. Because so, if we go back to our street crossing analogy, we, I, I tend to cross the street at Stewart and Maple right here, you know, so there's a lot of big trucks coming, coming there, and I, I, I walk, start walking across the street in a huge wreath Riley truck, you know, semi with all the wheels down, a bed full of gravel or whatever they, whatever they do, uh, starts just barreling towards me. Like, what would you think of my mental state if I was like, I got this, you know, bring it on. You know, I, I row three times a week. I can take this truck. That would be, it would be dumb. That would be insane. That would be a crazy person. Healthy fear of the power of the dump truck would be a good thing to scoot me along to the other side. It's good to have reverence, respect for things that are beyond us. I think kids are a great example of this because they are irreverent. Like, they're precious in their irreverence. You know, like, mom is on the toilet with the door locked and, you know, they figure out how to open it and just come and, like, hang out with you. Like, just completely irreverent. Like, mom might want some space, buddy, but no. And it's cute because they're kids. But if, you know, Johnny is, like, 17 and he's doing that, like, we need to have a very serious conversation. (laughs) A sign of maturity is that we have reverence. We, We respect boundaries. Jesus says, don't be afraid of people who can do legitimate harm to your life. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Like, (laughs) this is legitimate harm. Like, we're not talking about maybe, might, someday, or something like that. He says, instead, be afraid of the God who's powerful over everything, who holds your entire existence, physical, mental, spiritual, everything, in his hand. Rabbi Jesus is telling us, don't let a bee chase you off a cliff. Imagine there's a bee who's dead set on stinging you and is chasing you towards a huge cliff. It would be a sign of a crazy person to launch off the cliff to avoid a bee sting. Jesus is saying, don't jump into the void of being on the other side of God. Don't jump into the void of being against God in order to avoid whatever finite mortal men may do to you. That is insanity. That is not living in the proper reverence and fear of the dangers that really exist. He's pointing us to the reality that there are immediate threats, there are people who could persecute us and even kill our body and that we could back down from those threats. We could, you know, flip-flop and do what the people want. Identify with the world, deny being a Jesus follower and avoid the beasting of persecution Rabbi Jesus in his love and mercy is saying the bigger danger is to be on the wrong side of God fear the one who will judge the living and the dead the one who will let everyone who has rejected Jesus go into a Jesus free eternity where there's nothing good no peace joy, pleasure, hope just eternal conscious torment that's what we should be afraid of and he kind of says it in a different way in verse 32. If you flip the page in the Pew Bible, Jesus says, "Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father, but whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven." This is like if an 8-year-old kid like rejects his parents, like refuses to identify with his parents, uh, because he wants his friends at school to think that he's cool. I mean, it's, that that's insane. You know, It's like, hey, buddy, you know, your 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 parents provide your house and your food and your clothes and they keep you safe because you're a dumb eight-year-old. Like, why, why would you not, as an eight-year-old, why would you not want to identify with the people that provide everything for you just because, you know, Billy has sneakers that light up when he stomps. Like, Billy's not going to feed you or keep you safe. He's saying identify with your father, the true source of power and goodness. And that brings us to our last point. Fear is unnecessary. And Jesus gives us uh, throughout this passage several reasons on why fear is unnecessary, why, why he can tell us to, to not be afraid. First, look back at verse 26. Verse 26 says, So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. This is both glorious and comforting and also a little bit terrifying, if we're honest. Because there's so much in our current life that's hidden, so much that we don't see in our own souls and the souls of other people, and there's so many confusing things uh, in the world, and Jesus is acknowledging that that many things are hidden. Uh, But we don't have to be afraid because everything will be brought into the light. People look good or even godly, uh, but don't seem to actually, like, live like a Christian people are happy and fulfilled even though they've rejected God all that will be made right and clear and the good news is we don't have to be afraid we we don't have to be afraid of things being hidden because everything will be made known and brought into the light when people are against us we don't have to defend ourselves point out the wrong things in their lives necessarily maybe we can be content that even if we are attacked or persecuted for Jesus sake all will be known, our hearts and their hearts. We don't have to be afraid of persecution from people who are opposing God, even if they claim to be Christians. Like He told us that last week, that religious people uh, will be against, will be against Jesus in His way. For Jesus' followers, fear is unnecessary. We will not, we, Ultimately, we will not be misunderstood. Think how much Jesus was misunderstood, even by those closest to him. But for the joy said before him, he adored that. He adored all his suffering. The next reason we don't need to be afraid is in verse 28. It says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. We don't need to be afraid because the bad guys are limited. The bad guys are beastings. stings. In the grand scheme of things, the bad guys can't really do that much the greatest example of this is uh, the apostle paul who endured incredible amount of persecution for the sake of the gospel but you see him talking like they really are just beastings and he had to be maddening to people who were opposed to him he'd say what are you going to do kill me well i'd rather depart and be with christ anyway so make my day you're going to put me in jail i'll just convert all the guards and the other prisoners are you going to take away my status my reputation?" my my respectability, he says, I count that as rubbish anyways compared to knowing Jesus. Are you going to keep me under house arrest and put me on trial before all these governors and rulers? Then I'll just use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Paul is a picture of a man whose fear is in the right place. He'll take the bee stings and not jump off the cliff and stand on firm ground because He'll acknowledge Jesus and know that his father owns it all anyways. The next two reasons fear is unnecessary are the coziest ones. Look at 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is a beautiful, beautiful uh, comparison here. The same God who has the power to destroy both body and soul and hell, also cares about the little birds and your hair. The picture of God caring about sparrows, I believe, is meant to show His limitless power over everything all the time. The picture of God. With the sparrows is showing his limitless power and control over everything, because we're limited as humans. We you know, we just can't care about all the things all the time. We can't care about things like sparrows. You know, we struggle to even like you know care for our own health or you know keep our lawns mowed or whatever. And that's because we're finite. Like that's not that's not bad. Uh, that's that's how we're wired. We can only pay attention to a certain number of things. But the danger in that is that we can. Start to think of God in our image. We can think that God is also limited. There are only so many things that God can care about. I'm sure He doesn't have time to care about me. He's too busy to be involved in my insurance debacle. I'm sure God's too busy running the universe to meet my needs. Nope, Jesus is saying that God is boundless. His ability to love and care and control for everything is infinite. Every cell of every creature, of every, in every plant is on his radar. The Psalms say the the heavens proclaim the glory of God. This is why being in creation, being in like a God-sized space like the beach or the woods or something is so important because it takes us out of ourselves. We see how much, how many, the millions of life forms that we, we can't even, we don't even know the names of, let alone control and God holds them all and created all of them. We were <clears throat> at the river on Friday and there was this dragon, beautiful dragonfly just sitting on the rock and it was just like a time of meditating on like why does a dragonfly exist? Like why did God make a dragonfly? so intricate, it was so, uh, so big as a bug. God does not have to limit his care concern for just things that are important. He alone can control everything all the time. Look at verse 31. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is like a a double blessing. Because not only does God just care about sparrows, but biblically we have more value than anything else in all creation. That humans were the crowning glory of God's creation that we're his image bears uniquely and then even more his disciples Jesus's disciples are his chosen beloved people so if God is involved even with things that aren't special like like us you as a human are much more valuable Jesus then steps out of his sparrow analogy and says that God cares about you so intimately that he knows the hairs on your head God knows us intimately. He's not just like an all-powerful manager that, that knows everything, but he's actually like with us and knows the details of, our, of even our bodies. He knows us better than ourselves. He's not a distant father. He's not aloof. He's present and intricately in our, in our lives. Fear is unnecessary because the only thing, the only one really worth being afraid is becomes our caring father who knows us intimately. The only one who it, it really makes sense to actually be afraid of in Christ becomes our caring, present father. A father who knows us and is committed to our growth, to our flourishing even more than we are. But let's ask the question, how can we know that this is true? How can we know that God is both the one to fear and the one who does away with our fears. It all comes down to the cross of Jesus. We can see that what our sin deserves in the gory, bloody cross of Jesus, what our rebellion, what what, our, uh, <clears throat> what we deserve for our, our rebellion against God as the good father. God poured all that out on Jesus. The, the gore and the sadness of the cross is because of my sin and your sin. Romans 8 says that that he who didn't spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? Fear is unnecessary because Jesus faced the ultimate fear for us. He faced the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And because he was perfect, he was able to absorb all of that destruction we deserve and instead pour out love on us. And so now, scandal upon scandal, we can know God in grace as our Father. We can be known by him. We don't have to be afraid that he knows all the hairs on our heads and thoughts in our heads and emotions in our hearts because all of them, all of the ones that are sinful, have been paid for. So what do you do in light of this good news? In light of Jesus' instruction on reality? We'll look at verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. In light of this fearless existence that Jesus invites us into, is that we can be bold in proclaiming the word of Jesus. We can be bold and proclaim the truth that life with God under his rule is available through faith, by grace in Jesus. We don't have to be vulnerable to the fear-mongering. We don't have to be worried about, about people not liking us or losing our jobs or going hungry or even being betrayed to death, as Jesus said last week. We can be bold and proclaim in the rooftops. And I just want to give an example for you guys to chew on Like this came up in my real life. Because like, I'm a huge fan of like relational evangelism. You, you have dinner with people, you get to know their story, you figure out what they're about... You know, you develop trust. I'm all about that. But I think there is space in a not, like, mean or jerk way to just proclaim from the rooftops what, what we know to be true. I, I was talking to uh, two guys, that, and they were talking about politics uh, and the problems with either side. One leaned one way, one leaned the other way. And, um, and you know, it was it, it's exhausting to listen to, right? Because, you know, politics aren't aren't, gonna, aren't the answer ultimately. And, and kind of towards the end, I was like, hey, guys, I got to just play the Christian card. Both sides are trying to solve human problems with human strategies, and it's just not going to work. We need help from the outside, and I believe that that person is Jesus. He's the help from the outside. And they're like, uh ha,' you know, like, okay. You know, they, I mean, they were nice about it, but they blew me off. But fun fact, I think one of them just became a Christian a few months ago. Uh, so the point is that, like, we can look dumb. Like, we can look like a goof or, like, Try it like, Jesus, you know, he's always the right answer or whatever. Uh, and just kind of sow those seeds. We acknowledge Jesus before people, point people to him. And so just two baby steps, I think. Uh, you know, we can pray for pray for God to give us, you know, opportunities to acknowledge him before men, before others. Uh, but I think there's also uh, habits that we can put into our life. That will kind of gear us up to be quick to acknowledge Jesus, to proclaim from the rooftops. Uh, Essentially, developing habits in our life to where we know Jesus well, we know the person that we're trying to point people to. So the first baby step uh, is I would challenge you to uh, read at least a little bit of the Gospels every day. Like this, even on top of our same-page summer reading challenge. Like maybe just at lunch, you read like a paragraph or something. Just slowly. Uh, just to keep our mind, keep Jesus at the forefront of our minds, because I think m- most of us we might not even be very familiar with Jesus. Like we want to acknowledge him or identify with him, we don't even really know him that well, or you know his words aren't like quick you know to come to mind. And so, uh, just a, this is a little habit that I think can can uh, roll into a character, roll into a behavior that uh, that acknowledges Jesus. The more we get his words and actions into our souls, and the second thing. Uh, would be to talk about Jesus with people, just real, you know, like there's literally no way to mess it up except by not doing it, like with your spouse, with your kids, with your church friends, with, you know, whatever, like whoever, and especially if you get into the Gospels, maybe uh, anew or for the first time in a while, or you start grappling with the breadth of what Jesus said and did in the Gospels, like ask questions, you know, like invite people in with the questions you have, like why did Jesus say that? Have you read this story before? Have you read this parable before? Like, what is going on there? And just get used to talking about him, even if you don't, like, have it figured out. Because I think the more we come to identify with him, we'll see the fears melt away. But praise God that uh, Jesus isn't aloof. He's not a disconnected guru in the wilderness. He came to point us to reality. He came to (laughs) die for us so that we could, by grace, experience the reality of, of life with God as our Father. Let me pray.